If you have your Bible, I want you to go to Joshua chapter 10. Uh, we had an amazing week here last week. I actually had this word scheduled to share, and then God came and interrupted our service, and the spirit of of, of, of Christ came into the room through the testimonies uh, of, of what happened at Royal Family Kids Camp. If you're not aware of what that is, that is our camp that we throw for foster children. It's not a church camp. It's a community camp that the Church of the Living God has been given the privilege of throwing for kids and foster families. And we preach and we share and it was glorious. And I want to tell you today... Uh, God is opening doors for the church in this hour. God is opening doors. And the, when God begins to open doors, you have to know how to navigate those open doors. you got to learn how to live this spirit-led life where God does things that astound you. Did you know that our God, whenever we pray, He does exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could think or ask according to the power that's at work in us? Listen, God's not limited by your weak prayers. God takes your weak prayers and does astounding things with them. He'll fix your weak prayers. Glory to God. Well, if you wanted that message, you should have been in pre-service prayer. <laughs> Glory to God, which starts every week at 7.30 a.m. So I want to take you into this, into this word today because I want us to be a people who live counting on what Jesus did for us on the cross. Do you lean into what he did for you? Or, or, or is there just something of, of, of uh, we just kind of respond and react to life, you know, and we, we see the terrible things that are going on, and we just try to, just try to navigate. Maybe some of you are, are less confrontational, so, uh, so you, know, you, you, you know, I know some of you do this in your cars. You, you know, you, you listen to country music, and you're less confrontational people, so when Try that and a small town comes on. You just quickly turn that off. Anyways, that's only for a few of you. That's only for a few of you. Y'all like, oh, no, 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 no. No, we're just, trying to, we're just trying to scoot through life here, okay? We're just trying to avoid pitfalls. I want to tell you, the kingdom advancing in time church is a church that says we're not afraid of confrontation because God's going to open doors. God's going to move. And listen, church, we have got to lean into what Jesus did for us. What he accomplished for us. He struck a covenant on our behalf. And so I want to take you into some of this today. We're in Joshua chapter 10. There's so much here. We can't cover it all today. But I'm going to give you a few things that I believe are going to help you in your faith walk with Jesus. I want you to leave in here today encouraged. Some of you are looking, like, looking at me right now. Like, you're looking at me like... Pastor Otis, I dare you to encourage me. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best that you would leave here encouraged in the Lord. There's enough discouragement everywhere. We ought to look into God's word, see what he has done, and leave encouraged in the spirit. So let's look at Joshua chapter 10. We're in this promised land living series. God is teaching us how to live a spirit-filled, spirit-led life as the kingdom advances. We're advancing this kingdom. And it's advancing in us and through us. Now, verse 1 says, Now Adon Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, 
heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king uh, as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. Why don't you just underline that for a moment? The men of Gibeon, all of its men, were good fighters. So Adonai Zadak, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it's made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined, joined forces. They moved up with all their truth, troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because the Amorite kings from the hill, hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road up to Beth Haran and cut them all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel down the road, uh, it, it says this, as they fled before Israel, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it's written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Hallelujah. Let me give you a little bit of a review here. Here are, here are the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites, remember, they, 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 they literally committed a ruse, the scripture says. And they made it seem as if they were from a distant country. They're actually close by. And the reason that the Israelites were fooled is because they were not praying. And remember, if you're not a part of this series, please go back and listen to all of this. Because God is teaching us principles about how to live in victory, how to advance the kingdom, how to not suffer the pitfalls. Uh, uh, Corinthians 10 tells us, by the way, all of these things that happened, they were given to us as an example. 
Why? So that we don't make the same mistakes and so we can experience the hand of God with us, promoting us. So here's what the Gibeonites did after they're in covenant. And by the way, they're in covenant with God. They're in covenant with Israel, and now they're in covenant with God. What they did as a people is they counted on the covenant. In a moment where they came under attack, they leaned in to a covenant relationship. By the way, this is not in the message today, but listen to me well, young people. Listen to me, people of God. It matters who you run with in an hour of conflict. It matters who your friends are. It matters who the people are who are voices in your life. It matters who you're in covenant relationship with. And what does that mean? Because there will be times when an army assails you. Not one you can see, but an unseen army. The enemy of your soul will come against you and it's in that moment you need a covenant brother filled with the Holy Spirit you need a covenant sister who will say I'll bend my knee with you and I will pray until you get the victory God's teaching us some things now listen because of that covenant with Israel the Gibeonites the Hivites who were serving false gods now they're in covenant with God. Why? Because Israel complained. God is so good. He takes bad situations and makes them good. Israel complains because they were fooled by them and said, Fine, we are going to make you woodcutters and water carriers, not for us, for the house of the Lord. Israel thought they were, they were just making them slaves. Israel wanted a substitute worshiper. Please go back and listen to that message. Except no substitutes in your life when it comes to worship. Don't think you're worshiping just because Pastor Luke and Pastor McKenzie are up here giving their all and you're in the room. You're not necessarily worshiping. Don't, don't accept a substitute worshiper. But what they did is they said, Gibeon... You start cutting wood for the house of God. You start carrying water for God. And so what happened? These people who once had no covenant with God, now they are serving the kingdom of God. Israel had no idea what they were doing. But Gibeon starts sowing seeds into the kingdom. And because they were sowing seeds into the kingdom, when the attack came, oh, they had a harvest waiting on them. Oh, I'm going to tell you today, don't ever think the seeds that you sow into the kingdom of God go to waste. You say, all I'm doing is cutting wood for the house of God. All I'm doing is carrying a little bit of water. All I'm doing is serving in Calvary kids. All I'm doing is helping out. I clean a little here. I give a little here. I just... Uh, don't ever think God wastes a seed. Don't ever think he wastes a seed. I love this. God will not forsake the seed sown in worship. You say, I don't know, I don't know, I'm in a hard time. It's hard for me to worship. 
That's the best time to worship. When things are tough, when you're going through a broken time, you will never, ever be able to offer God the kind of worship you could from that place again. You come out into a good place and you'll be worshiping from that place. But if you'll worship from the low place, you'll watch God begin to move. I got more to say about that in just a little while. The Gibeonites leaned on their covenant with Israel, and I love what happened. Israel then leaned into their covenant with God. And don't you love this? In the scripture, it says the Gibeonites, they were all great fighting men. They were all good fighting men. And yet, compared to Israel, the way they saw themselves is, we're going to be utterly defeated. We can learn some lessons here, folks. There may be, there may be enemies out there that are great fighting men, but I'm here to tell you today that when God starts to move in a company of people, the enemy begins to shake. There is fear in the enemy camp. It's amazing that everybody else thinks Gibeon, they're filled with great fighting men. But those great fighting men had to bow their knee to the one who was coming with the covenant people. And notice what this says. It says Gibeon... Gibeonites, they leaned into this covenant with Israel. And then what did Israel do? Israel leans into their covenant with God. And we'll see this a little more. Now listen, I'm going to give you something here. It's totally free. Totally free. Not a point. If believers will fight for the covenant relationships in their life, God will fight for those in covenant with him. If you will fight, listen, that's what Israel did. It says, I'm in covenant with Gibeah, so I am going to fight for them. I'm going to fight for someone who would lose this battle had it not been for us intervening. God says, then I get involved in the fight. I wonder if believers will once again start to believe that marriage is between one man and one woman and say, divorce, we're running you out of town. Why? Because I'm going to lean in to my covenant relationship. Why? Because then it releases a covenant God to fight for me. Come on, do I need to say, somebody needs to understand your family is a covenant relationship. You're in covenant. I wonder if you just stop throwing up your hands. Well, my teenagers have lost their minds. It'll come back, parents, but keep praying. Keep believing. Keep saying, I'm leaning in to this covenant relationship. And when you lean into the covenant, God begins to fight for you. I want to say it this way, we need, to, we need to, as the church, lean into covenant relationships with each other here at the church. We need to lean into the community uh, that, that we have covenant relationships. We live here. We live here. Everything that goes on in this community is connected to us. It's us. So what do we do? We lean into those covenant relationships. I got a letter from the city thanking Calvary for their part in the July 2nd outreach and giving us an open invitation to be a part of next year. 
What does that tell you? You lean into covenant relationships with the people around you, and God starts to move. And by the way, if you want to know ones where God will move super fast, here we go, widows and orphans. I know, listen, some people have big, big, big dreams about what ministry needs to be. Maybe you're dreaming about raising the dead. Why don't you just minister to somebody who has lost someone who has died and watch how God begins to move in your life? When you minister to widows and orphans, it's a, it's a covenant relationship that God moves. It says, James 1.27, it is that pure and faultless religion, listen, that the Father accepts to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Listen, that is why God moved last week. That's why God's Spirit was here. We spent all week as a church, and you weren't maybe a part of the team, 55 people gave themselves to ministering to orphans who have no ability to pour back into us. But God came on a day where we would testify of all that we saw and all that was done. And God's presence was in the house. And God, God was ministering. Why? He was saying, you leaned in to a covenant relationship. Now, I'm going to move in the spirit. Relationships are very important. Now, I want us as a people to count on the covenant. Count on the covenant. Mostly, the great covenant that we have, and I don't have time to go into the depths of covenant. Maybe one day we'll we'll do a whole series on really what covenant is. Covenant is an agreement between a strong party and a weak party in blood. Something dies in covenant. And that's why Jesus dying on the cross is God making a covenant with us. And by the way, We had nothing to offer, and we access that agreement by grace through faith. And so, I want us to become a people who count on God's covenant, because then we'll see God do in our life what he did here in Joshua chapter 10. Let's let's first see what happens when we begin to count on the covenant. When you count on the covenant, first thing that happens is that it releases confusion on the enemy. Oh, this is so good. I might not even get past past point one. It releases confusion on the enemy. When you lean into your covenant with God and when you lean into your covenant with people, when things are hard, when the enemy is coming against you and you lean on covenant... Confusion gets released. This is so good. Joshua 10, 10, it says, The Lord threw them, the enemies, into confusion. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely. This is so good. I thank the Lord for the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because I thought I knew what this meant. And I totally didn't know what it meant until I really begin to dive deep and the Holy Spirit says, what did I throw the enemy into? 
I said, confusion. And the Lord asked me, what is that? Now, I don't know if you have conversations with God like I do. But anytime God asks me a question, it's not because he needs information. He doesn't need me to fill him in on something. It's an invitation for me to discover something I didn't know. Come on, you need, to, you need this kind of relationship with God. Where he asks you questions and you go on a journey. I love this. So I looked up the word confusion in the Hebrew. And the word confusion means this. Noisily moving. Noisily moving. Let me bring you into a little modern picture. You're going to bed. You want everything quiet. You have a house full of teenagers. There is confusion in the kitchen because they are noisily moving. It says he threw the enemy into a place where something or someone was noisily moving. He threw the enemy into a place where something or someone was noisily moving. You know what they heard, right? They heard God moving. The enemy heard God moving. He said, I opened the ears of the enemy and I let them hear me moving. I let them hear. I let them know that they weren't just fighting a people that they could see. I threw them into an atmosphere where God was noisily moving. Listen, we have been a church far too long where we, we've just wanted to be a kingdom quietly moving. Quietly moving. But in order to advance in a world ruled by demonic powers, we need God our covenant God to begin to noisily move. A noisy move. You say, well, okay, all right. If he put that in enemies, what did it sound like? Now listen, I'm a Bible guy, so I have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. I've got to see, is there another time where confusion came on an army? And where suddenly God started moving at response to a covenant people? I'm glad you're asking the same question that I'm asking. Which was in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. When the armies came against Jehoshaphat. Look at 2 Chronicles 20, 21 through 23. It says, after consulting the people... Because they got a prophetic word from the Lord. Jehoshaphat appointed men to what? 
sing to the Lord. And to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they begin to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes. Theologians have been arguing for years about what the ambushments of this moment are. Here's what it was. God began to noisily move. He began to noisily move. And what happened? Against the men of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, by the way, whose name means praise. Because the enemy knows that if he takes your praise, he will actually take access to the thing that releases God to noisily move. I'm going to help you here today. And as... And they were... The Lord said ambushes, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. What? Israel and Judah is standing there saying, Lord, we praise you. We give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And suddenly, God begins to noisily move, and the enemy starts fighting themselves. I mean, it must have looked something like this. This is your fault. We're going to lose it. No, it's not my fault. It's your fault. You didn't train the way you were supposed to train. No, no, no. It, this is definitely your fault. I can't believe you drug me out here on this battlefield. I didn't drag you here. You drug me here. And suddenly the enemy is fighting the enemy and they fall dead. Now here, read the whole story. It takes Israel four days to pick up all the blessing left in the valley. So much so, God changed the name of the valley. But what unlocked it, people? What unlocked God noisily moving? You better see it. You want confusion to come into the enemy's camp? Why don't you praise when the pressure is on? Why don't you begin to praise when the pressure is on? Until God starts moving. When things are tough, praise. When things are down, praise. When it doesn't look right in your bank account, praise. You, when, you're come, when you feel that onslaught of the enemy, it's time to praise. I'm going to praise. I'm going to praise. I'm going to praise. And when you praise because of your covenant with God, he begins to noisily move in the enemy's camp. And he begins to set the the enemy's schemes into confusion. Listen, your praise is never based upon how you feel. Your praise ought to be determined by the depth of your need. How much do you believe you need God? I think that's the problem today. The church has stopped believing we need God. We think we could just organize a little better. We can just get, get a little more together. Man, we can get our message out there. And then, and then uh, this will all work because of the efforts of man. No. 
Church, we need to learn how to utterly begin to lean into the covenant we have with God. We lean into him and we say, except it be for you, we will be defeated. Except it it is for you, we will lose this war. But because we are in Christ, I am more than a conqueror. I have been made an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb. I have been made as one who will stand, who will see God noisily move in the enemy's camp. I wonder, do you believe that God's going to move again on our campuses? I will not surrender. I will not go quietly into, the, into my grave. I'm going to stand on campuses. When, 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 when campuses open back up, I'll be standing in FCAs declaring the goodness of God. Why? I mean, my, I mean if you just watch the news, before you know it, probably in about 15 years, the whole, the whole country is going to be gay. I mean, right now, one in five kids are confused. And that percentage is increasing. So what are you going to do? Fold your arms and go into a cave? No, no, no. It's time that the church begin to praise. It's time. We are in covenant with the God of the universe. And it's time we begin to praise and watch the enemy get confused when those who are confused no longer are confused because of the hand of a risen Savior touching them and giving them a right mind, a right heart. And men start to be men and women start to be women. And we suddenly recognize that it wasn't because of our efforts. It was because the praise we gave to our covenant God. Praise. Praise. Praise is, not just, praise is not just a celebration of things when they're going good. Praise is the weapon God uses to sow enemy, to, to sow confusion back into the author of confusion. Hallelujah. Let me give you something else you can expect when you lean into covenant. When you start counting on your covenant with God, it releases heavenly help. Aren't you glad when God steps in and moves? How many of you are like me and you just wish God would move a little sooner? I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay with that. But notice what it says. As they fled before Israel on the road, Beth Haran down to Azekah, listen to these words. The Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. Who is them? The enemy. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. I just want to ask you a question here today. I just want to ask you a question. You're good Bible scholars. I'm sure you were listening. You weren't nodding off in this moment. What was Israel fighting with? Say it. Swords. Israel was fighting with swords. Israel leaned into the covenant and picked up the sword. Don't forget, people, Ephesians 6, just because you know it as the armor of God. Do not forget 
what this is made for. It's made for conflict. Ephesians 6 says, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. These things are as an example for us. Here comes the enemy. We're seeing, man, the enemy starts to get on the run. And what are you doing? You are taking the sword, which is the Word of God. It's your only weapon. But my Bible says that my God does exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I can think or ask. Now wait a minute. What does that have to do with the relationship to the sword? I'm glad you asked. You see, in Jeremiah 1, we are given a glimpse at what God does with a covenant people when they pick up a sword. When they pick up the word of God. He calls Jeremiah. And he gives him a vision. And Jeremiah in verse 1. Watch this. It says the word of the Lord came to me. He said what do you see Jeremiah? He goes I see the branch of an almond tree. I replied. The Lord said to me. You have seen correctly. For I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. See, the almond tree, there's a play on words in Hebrew here. The almond tree was called the watcher tree. And the almond tree, at the first glimpse of spring, would be the first tree that budded. The, the first glimpse that the season had changed, the almond tree, the watcher tree, would bud. And so what was he saying? He said, I am watching to see if anybody will pick up the word of God and begin to use it. Because if you'll pick up the word of God, God will watch over his word to perform it. He watches over his word to fulfill it. He's not watching over your attitude. He's not watching over a, a lot of... He is watching over this word to perform it. He is looking for a people who said, I believe this is what will change everything. I'm going to stand on the word in, in covenant with God. And here's what happened. Israelite had the swords, but God sent hailstones. I'm telling you, this is what it looks like when a believer chooses to stand on the word. When you, ch I mean, it's it just little old you with a sword, except there's a God in heaven who says, I'm going to send down hailstones. Listen, do y'all read the same Bible I do? How in the world, on the battlefield that is mixed between a covenant people and an enemy people, do none of the hailstones hit the covenant people? Do you hear me? Some of y'all are worried about, oh, what's going to happen in the last hour? Pick up a sword and let judgment fall where it may, but it will not fall on the covenant people of God. When the people of God use the word of God to fight the enemy, God watches and helps us with exactly what we need for victory. Can you imagine? I bet not one person thought in that desert community that day, 
wow, I had a really good devotional time with the Lord this morning. And as I was praying, God showed me hailstones. Uh-uh. All they had was that word that came a little bit earlier. I have given them into your hands. I, no, no details. I've given them into your hands. No details. No, Women, I'm sorry. This is the part you don't like. My wife is a detail person. She asks me all kinds of questions. I have a conversation with somebody. She asks questions I would never think to ask. How is their second cousin's brother's sister doing who was doing? It didn't come up. How could it not come up? I don't, didn't come up. God said, I've given them into your hands. And you know what you need to do? You need to take that word and say, I'm more than a conqueror. The devil is beneath my feet. I'm the head and I'm the, I am not the tail. I'm above and I am not beneath. And I will walk in victory over every scheme of the enemy. Everything. And then what God does, it always blows your mind. It always blows your mind. It always goes farther than you could have ever dreamed. So stop trying to be God. Stay in covenant with God and say, Lord, I'm going to stand on your word. You have given this community into your hand. This place will be a, a regional center of awakening. This place is a well of healing. We're going to be a people who preach the gospel and see countless thousands come to the Lord. You say, how? I don't know. Hailstones from heaven. Answers from heaven that, that exceed our imagination, that exceed our planning. Glory to God. He will help you with exactly what you need for victory. Let me finish by saying this. When you count on the covenant, it releases heavenly intervention. Now, I could preach a whole message just on this. But in Joshua t uh, 10, verses 12 through 14, it says this. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, which says something about the corporate prayer meeting, by the way. That sometimes we just need to be with other brothers and sisters and seek the face of God and see what he says. He said... He prayed this crazy prayer. Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation avenged itself on its enemies. Let me say it to you this way. We know that prayer is something that we're called to. I mean, you get born again immediately. You're born again through a moment of talking to God in prayer. But listen to this. Covenantal intercession releases the favor to finish. It releases the favor to finish. It's the kind of favor that carries Paul through beatings and shipwrecks and imprisonments and betrayals. Matter of fact, when, when Paul has... An encounter with Jesus, the very people who live for Jesus reject Paul. Did you know that from Acts? Paul has such an encounter. He's Saul. He starts preaching the gospel in Damascus. 
And everybody said, isn't this the guy? Isn't this the guy who was persecuting us? They want nothing to do with him. They think, they think he's trying to pull one over on them. Why? Because God moved in such a powerful way. I have a question for us, church. Have we start, stopped praying big prayers? Have we stopped asking God for big things because we've got our mind on, on the little things of life? Heaven intervened. Listen to this. Because one man prayed. Joshua prayed. How did he even come up with it? I think he was just angry. I think he was just angry at seeing the enemy come against them over and over and over. He's like, God, all we need is a little more time. All we need is a little more time. And if you give us more time, I know that means a favor to finish has come on my life. That's why Paul says, I've finished the race. How did he know? Because favor fell when he said, God, just let give me enough time. Give me enough time. And if some of us in the room, maybe, maybe you finish, you think, wow, you know, I, I, I'm already checked out of the kingdom of God. No, you're not. Just because you can get discounts at buffets does not mean that you are checked out of the kingdom of God. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. God is extending your days. Why? Because he wants some people who would pray some crazy prayers. I mean, you get old enough, you know, you know all your crazy elderly people in your family, they just say crazy stuff and they just go, that's just them. Why don't we start being that kind of people? That pray big prayers and says, oh man, I'm interceding for big things. Make people have to dismiss you based upon your faith in God. How will that happen? I don't know how it's going to happen. Maybe the sun will stand still. Maybe we'll be given all the time that we need. And the favor to finish will fall upon us. Heaven intervened because Joshua prayed. And when you're committed to the right fight, you can expect God to answer audacious prayers. By the way, God wants to move in and through your life in a way, in you, listen to me carefully, everybody in here, God wants to move in you in a way that your family says, oh, that has to be God. By the way, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. I don't even know why a cat is in the bag, but we're going to let it out of the bag. Your family's already seen you under the control of Satan. Why not let God do something so big in your life, they look at you confused, that they hear the footsteps of an unseen Savior. They think, oh, I'm so confused by what I see. Like what I see in them, the way they talk, the way they move, the way they think, that has to be that has to be God. That has to be God. Hallelujah. And it's in that moment they say things like, surely the Lord was fighting for them. Church, we've got to lean into our covenant with God. And by the way, 
God is inviting every person in this room and every person watching online into covenant relationship.